Welcome to Season Awakening. Welcome. <laughs> we are your hosts, Kimberly Jacobson. And Forrest Dwyer. Oh, you really jumped in there this time. Yeah, I want to be quick. All right, let's do it. So this week, we have the pleasure of introducing you to Missy Brown. And unfortunately, I didn't get to be there for the interview because I was traveling in Belize. Yeah, it was sweet. The, the interview kind of came together quickly. Missy's a good friend, and we ended up being in the same spot at the same time. Um, so we, we jumped on it, but unfortunately, Kim was in Belize hosting a retreat. Can you believe it? <laughs> Did you like that? Uh, our that apologies. Good? It's late, and <laughs> we're doing our best. You like the joke. You said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was in Belize with a, a great friend of mine. We were co-leading a yoga and meditation retreat. And we, we have a whole bunch coming up for for How next many? winter as well. We're doing three. In 2020. In 2020. At least that's what we have scheduled right now. Yeah. So we're doing three international retreats in 2020. And, of course, if you're listening, the you're, if you're feeling the call, you're welcome to join us. We're going to be in Guatemala the first week of January. We'll be in Belize the first week of March, and we'll be in Spain, I believe it's the second week of April. So if you're feeling the call, check it out, Be Light Yoga Center. Yeah, or, you know, maybe open your computer and go to BeLightYogaCenter.com slash retreat, and you'll, all the information's there. But this week, um, I got to talk to you anyway, Missy Brown, who is... Um, an amazing teacher. She's a pioneer in the field of wellness and yoga for children. So talking to her about why she wants to bring yoga to children, why she teaches teachers and parents how to teach yoga to children in a fun, accessible way, uh, really fascinating. And her mission is um, one that I think is incredibly important for, for the world. So enjoy listening to her. We'll we'll try to have her back on again at some point when Kim is in town. When I can be here. Yeah. And um, she has some incredible trainings and programs. Yeah, you can get certified by her. You can check out her training. She's got some coming up in the summer in Kripalu and uh, some at All That Matters in Wakefield, Rhode Island. So go to her website at some point, deepplayforkids.com. She's got all of when her trainings are that you can go check it out. You can, I think some of them in Kripalu you can even bring your kids to and they can take it, which is really cool. (coughs) Yeah, she has some programs that are specifically intended for children. And also trainings for adults, which is just incredible. Um, and if you're just looking, listening to this and you're like, oh, wow, I want to bring some of that into my kids' lives, um, you can go to Deep Play for Kids, too. And she's just got some videos and content there that uh, is easily accessible. So enjoy. Enjoy. And um, another huge thank you to our friend Malachi for letting us use his single, The Woods. The Woods. But the first I think that maybe is either how do you get into yoga in general? Let's just start there because then there's the whole element of how do you get into teaching kids how to do yoga. And I think those are separate. <laughs> they are separate. <laughs> and I didn't intend to do either of them. Yeah. So they're both great questions. Um, my uncle is uh-huh. a psychiatrist. Okay. And I, in my youth as well as now, am a pretty high energy 
active person. Mm -hmm. And in high school, my uncle suggested I look into yoga. Okay. Not for the physical practice of it, because I was a runner and a cheerleader and did all of these active things, but really for the meditative, mm -hmm. quieting, stillness piece of it. And I looked into yoga, and I found places to practice yoga. And the only part that I didn't do was the quiet, <laughs> meditative, still practices. And when I would go to studios, I would sneak out before yeah. Shavasana. Oh. I was like, no, I don't <laughs> want to do this. I'm going to crawl out of my skin. Yeah. And that was... Um, that really informed me of, wow, maybe this is what I need mm -hmm. to do. Maybe I'm replacing some other busy activity with the yoga that I was doing when really what I needed to do is quiet down and slow down. Yeah. And so I really began to connect with it yeah, at, at that time in my life. And it was such a gift yeah. because I needed to balance the busyness with more ways to really be quiet in my mind and in my body, which continues to this day to be a challenge for me. But you started to do it. You started to I started stay to do it. Yes, I, I forced <laughs> myself. And still to this day it can be uncomfortable mm -hmm. or, you know, really a stretch for me. Although mm -hmm. now my body and my mind crave that. Mm -hmm. But at times when I'm asked to do that, it can be tricky. Yeah. But I did. I stayed with it and I stayed with yoga. And then I began to really see that yoga was not about the physical practice. And I really got that. And I actually teach that to teachers that I train and to kids that I work with, even the classes and programs that I teach to children at Kripalu. Yeah. Like I talk to them about how nature and men in India looking at nature and studying nature and doing physical practices was really in preparation to be still and quiet. Was there a moment, because one of the things that in doing research on you and asking a lot of your friends things, they, so you've trained and co-taught with like some of the best and yes. the most amazing teachers. Yes. Was there a moment for you when it clicked that it was more than physical movement and or was it just kind of slowly over time realized there was something else? I mean, I think it was both. I don't think there was that moment. There was that moment for me when teaching this or sharing it and offering it to children really clicked. Mm -hmm. But it was just gradual, and I had this privilege of being introduced yeah. to so many people. And like you've had in your life, mm -hmm. I've had that in my life. And what's fascinating to me is I didn't set out to do that, and I didn't really seek finding them, it just kind of arrived in my lap or made its way onto my path. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes. And when I really saw that using the tools of yoga in my parenting or in a preschool classroom where I was working, that they were really helping. And it really wasn't about the physical right. postures or the asanas, but it was really about all of the other things, the way of being kind and having gratitude and pausing and mm. noticing and consciously communicating. Those were the things that as a young mom and then as a person who was in a classroom with children for long periods of time, those were the things that I wanted to impart. Mm. And that's where I really then dove into wanting to understand the science behind it and Which. what really was working. In schools, mm -hmm. um, and obviously with 
Deep Play for Kids, which we can dive into as well, you've taught teachers how to teach uh, yoga to kids. Yes. Um, and you continue to do that. We just came from a workshop with that, which is the most fun you can possibly have. <laughs> you started teaching to kids. At what ages do you typically, or is it all ages, really? So I've taught to all ages. Yeah. When I first started teaching yoga to children and mindfulness to children, it was preschool. You had one example that you actually mentioned today, and I wanted to ask you about it, because you said there are safe schools in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and that you taught... The teachers at those safe schools had to teach deep play for kids and yoga with kids. And there, there were some pretty profound results after a couple months yes. of them teaching. Can you talk about results that you've seen with children from, because I know you've taught from children with disabilities to children in you know safe schools to children that don't feel safe to you know children that do feel safe. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to what kind of impacts you see? Yes. Um, So the school that you're referring to, Mm -hmm. it it was an amazing privilege to be a part of that school. So sometimes I'll be invited to come into a school and they'll ask me, what can I offer and what do I want to do? And everything I create for a school is individual. It's based on the population and then what I assess the need to be. So this particular school, the staff is working with children who have severe trauma. Mm-hmm. And so what I recognized is before I was going to come in and do anything with the children that I wanted to offer this to the staff yeah. because they really need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need it for themselves because so much is being asked of them mm-hmm. to serve that population. Yeah. And so what I love about doing it that way is the teachers then get to practice self-care. They get introduced to these that maybe they don't know about them. And then when they experience it for themselves, they then embody it a little bit more. They also buy into the benefits of it because they've experienced it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So now this school has implemented all of this into their curriculum. And so then I went into the school after working with the teachers and showed them how I do it with kids, but they already then knew Mm -hmm. what it was. Sometimes it's with the kids first and then the teachers, or sometimes it's just one or the other, but it's really most effective when it can be that everyone receives it. Mm -hmm. And what was beautiful about offering this way back when I started is that it was during the school day, so it's great to take an after-school yoga class if you get signed up for it but it's really beautiful when it's part of the curriculum curriculum, because then it gets infused into the curriculum so the climate of the school the climate of the classroom that all then changes and that's where the change can be so profound and effective and can I give you an example yes please so when I was teaching for all of those years in preschools and then early elementary schools and then in a studio that I built at home, I wanted the children to leave with something. So whether it was an object or a handout or something so that they could practice outside of the time that they were with me so there could be continuity. And in addition, I would always encourage them to teach their family, mm-hmm. which they loved that they could teach their family. So there's a practice of breath, as you know, ujjayi breath, where there's a slight constriction of the back of the throat Mm -hmm. that stimulates a lot of healing and health and wellness in the body, and it's likened to fogging a mirror. So I used to give children mirrors, 
And there was a local dental company that gave me thousands <laughs> of handheld dental mirrors, yeah. which was so great because there's a sensory experience mm -hmm. and there's a body experience holding a dental mirror. And then there's the visual seeing your breath fog the mirror. So I would give mirrors. I would do like a lesson in the beginning of the year and everyone would get a dental mirror. And I never knew like sometimes what was connecting and what wasn't. But I always hoped that if I offered a variety of things, it would land with each person at some point along the school year. And I ran into a mom like eight or nine years later who told me that her child still had the dental mirror. So I really? talked about the importance of breath and how breath can really help us feel calm when our mind or our body are not calm. And so I wanted kids to really understand why I was doing these things with them and I would do it at age appropriate explanations. And so I talked about, and I would then engage the kids like, and I would ask them, where's the time where you feel nervous or scared or worried? Because I want to also normalize that those feelings are okay right. and then there's things we can do about them. So to talk about using this breath with the mirror, if you're going to a doctor's appointment, if you're going to a new school, if you're getting a new babysitter, whatever. The, and so this child brought the mirror in the car and wherever they were going would breathe on the mirror. And then when this child stopped needing to use the mirror, still kept the mirror as a reminder yeah. to really remember the power of taking a slow breath and being able to calm down the mind or the body. So that story was just so um, tender and mm. beautiful for me to know that there's that one child, hopefully there were more, and I think <laughs> there were more, but that that one child learned a lifelong tool. And so I love that people come to yoga at every age and any age. But if it gets into the hands of children, they can carry it through their lives. And there was a validation of it, that this child learned, I feel it. nervous, I can take a deep breath. Yeah. And things that I think people probably imagine when we're talking about children doing yoga is like children going to a yoga studio and like going through postures like you would as an adult. One of the the cool piece is, is it's such a creative work process that you've built for children to embrace yoga, and like the mirror, fogging the mirror. And I was just thinking, are there other simple tools that can be said in a podcast form of like teaching your kid or teaching, you know, children if you're a teacher in terms of something you can take that's a little tidbit um, to learn a breath or learn how to handle anxiety or something like that. There's, that's what's really fun about <laughs> teaching kids because we get to play with stuff. Yeah. So as simple as taking a cotton ball okay. or a pom-pom or a feather and placing it on the desk or on the floor and using breath to mm -hmm. see it move and to actually have it move is a very accessible way to teach about breath because there's a result. Right. I blow my breath out. It moves an object. And then to really start having the ability to harness the breath or modulate the breath or control the breath. So for instance, if I were here with you and we had a cotton ball or a feather mm -hmm. on the table and I would ask you to take a big breath and blow it, it might go flying across the room and off the table, which is great. But to see then if I can teach you how to start having control over your breath, I'd maybe put a piece of tape mm -hmm. halfway across and ask you if you can control your breath so that it can 
go close to the finish line yeah. of the tape. So doing something fun like that or blowing a pinwheel or anything that's visual that also can be sensory where it can be held or seen or felt or experienced engages a child's mind as well as an adult's mind to want to breathe. Like who doesn't want to blow yeah. feathers all <laughs> over the room or blowing bubbles, you know, and just using the breath that way. Yeah. So there are so many fun ways to teach kids about breath. It is. If you ever get the chance, it's like as an adult going to the workshop that you lead, you get to be a kid and you just remember that everybody has a little kid inside of them and plays and you start laughing and giggling. And we do. And somewhere yeah. along the way, we stop playing. Yeah. Life gets serious or people ask us to not play. And, and then that part of us gets trapped and stuck mm -hmm. and it's, it just really activates joy and to be in that room this morning and see everyone laughing and smiling and playing. But what we were doing is really steeped in the science of yoga mm -hmm. and the contemplative practices right. of yoga, but in a playful way. And that's the best way to really offer it to anyone. You've mentioned, obviously, the one example with the mirror, but there are probably other examples and other all the tools you teach are steeped in yoga. And so there's so many things that you're giving children in terms of tools and capabilities. And obviously it makes sense to me that it would land with children because why wouldn't it? They're learning constantly. And, but is it the, the deeper concepts landing with them in terms of like, oh, this is how I can handle it if an emotion arises or this is what I can do in my daily life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's absolutely landing because while I'm sharing a class or a workshop or even a few minute experience, I tell them what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how it can be useful in their life. So a two-year-old would have a very different version of a six-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old. But yes, I really want them to learn why they're doing it. So I want to teach kids as young as the age that I work with them that inside our body we have lungs mm -hmm. and lungs help us breathe. And then I have them tap their lungs. And I mean, who doesn't want to do ah? <laughs> but that's actually stimulating health and immunity as we tap, right. as well as releasing sound. So if it's, you know, an opportunity to let out some energy mm -hmm. in a healthy way. And so there again, just letting a young child know they have lungs that help them breathe, and if they tap on them, which yeah. feels often really nice, that it's doing something good for their bodies. And then older children, especially now, I feel like, well, it's with young children, older children, and adults of all ages, but anxiety and depression and mm -hmm. loneliness and all of these things are becoming epidemic. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's really important to talk about them, to say that it's okay right if you're feeling this way or if you know someone who's feeling this way, so to give permission to it as opposed to keeping silent mm -hmm. about it. And then to offer tools, strategies, antidotes of if you're feeling a certain way, here are a few things that you can do. And so what I love about doing this with children is offering it to them perhaps at a time that something isn't happening that they need it. So they've already experienced it. And then it's like, oh, wait, I can take a dance break. Mm -hmm. I can, <laughs> yeah. you know, make believe I'm blowing bubbles. Or I can put a beanie baby on my belly and lay down and give it a ride. 
And so they've already experienced it, and now they have this overflowing toolkit that goes with them through their lives that they can then pull things out or to offer to other people if they notice that someone may need this. Yeah, such an amazing toolkit to have at a young age. But it's also one of the things that you do over and over again is you give permission for almost any feeling and emotion. Do you see that kind of immediately pull back the gate or the, like, does it remove the shield or? I think it does immediately. Yeah. Absolutely. Because some people in the world are uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with those kinds of feelings, whether it be children or adults. And so there's this belief that if I don't talk about it, maybe it will go away. Or if I don't talk about it, it's not really happening. So I really want to give people of all ages voice to it. I lead programs for children at Kripalu. And one of the exercises that we do in one of the sessions is about feelings and emotions. And it's amazing to me what happens. So... If I stand with the children and I draw all of these circles, this mm-hmm. is what I do, on a, um easel. And then we talk about feelings, and now kids know what emojis look like, or if I make a sad face and a happy face, they can often identify it. And then to really ask children, what are some feelings that you have? And when you have that feeling, Is it a nice feeling? Is it a pleasant feeling? Is it a feeling that you want to make go away? And what's amazing is that when someone starts talking about it, everyone starts talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it gives permission for other kids to say, you know, what may happen that causes you or impacts you to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then children want to talk. They're not often given the space and the permission to talk. So whether it's that they're moving to a new school and they're leaving their friends or their parents are getting divorced or state mastery tests are coming up and whatever it is. And then a child starts talking and then everybody starts talking. And then there's like this moment where I kind of get out of the way. So I'm still holding the space and I've facilitated the conversation. But then kids start talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I had that happen and here's what I did or here's what you could have done or here's what you could do next time. And then there's so much healing and community building that happens. And I think if people are given the permission and given the opportunity in a safe way that's held to talk about things, they want to talk. And I've worked with children. um, I've worked with several children who were nonverbal or Mm -hmm. some children who were selective mutes. And even they whether it was with their voice or their bodies or in some way, like they want to share and they want to be heard and they want to tell their stories. And so to take away the stigma of it's not okay to feel that way because they're feeling that way. And so many people are feeling that way. And so to normalize it in every way possible. We've talked about kind of how you got into this world and some of the work that you do, but like why... Is it so important in your mind to teach kids these tools and have the next generation understanding these tools at a younger age? I think it's a great question. It's such a great question. And it's one I often ask myself because when I started doing this, the reasons have kind of shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying with the amount of anxiety and depression and bullying 
and eating disorders mm -hmm. and violence and all of the things that are happening in the world nowadays, I feel like we as a society of adults have a responsibility to equip children so that because I, I don't necessarily believe that all of these things that have happened, that there was like this snap and someone decided to do something, mm -hmm. whether it was to themselves or leave their partner or blow up a building. Right. I think that it's a cumulative effect that is often not noticed or often not talked about. Right. So if there's conversations and if there's tools and if there's permission, maybe some of these things won't be happening as much because there's awareness that's being built and people aren't alone. And so I do believe that I ask myself, how can I best serve children so that the future of our world is a healthier place yeah. and a safer place? You do good work. So thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, I always end with three seeds. So three questions. Okay. So one is, or what is the book that you gift most to anybody or, or you most treasure? Is there one? A gift. So that's a great question. Can I make it um, be about deep play for kids? You certainly can. Okay. So I have um, a small-ish house mm -hmm. that's overflowing with books. And I love books, and I give a lot of my books away. And I have to say that some of the most influential books on my personal path have been written by my friend Stephen Cope. Yeah. And I've bought many, many, many copies, and I give those away. I think it's, it's a must-read. Yeah. But I spent a number of years working on a book that just got published in December, and it's a children's breath book. And so while I'm not trying to self-promote here because there are amazing people, Sharon Salzberg and Pema Chodron and so many people whose work have been um, most influential to me personally as well as as a teacher, um, I'm extremely proud of this book because it has 46 ways to breathe. And it's for children and it's for adults and... I think one of the most important things that I can offer to anyone that I share anything with mm -hmm. is to help them learn about their breath. Because yeah. while we talked about mirrors and pinwheels and pom-poms and bubbles, our breath is always with us. Mm -hmm. So it's the first thing we do when we come into the world, and it's the last thing we do before we leave this world. And wherever we go, we have it, so we don't need special clothes right. or equipment or anything. And no matter where we are, we can take a breath and bring us back to ourselves. And so I'm, I worked for many years on this book because the importance of breath to me has really saved me. Mm -hmm. And so I want other people to know that they have this thing inside of them that they can access anytime they want. So I have to say... That while there are great people whose books we can I love, I was gifted with all of this. It was given to me, mm -hmm. and I had the privilege and opportunities to be with these masterful teachers whose work then somehow in my mind just got kidified. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I really get that, and I really wanted to learn the science of it and study it and 
dig deeper into it and share it with adults. And then it was like, wow, how could I make this fun <laughs> for kids? So, yeah, but I, I mean, I love, I love so many people whose work has really, really influenced me. But I'd have to say, in addition to Deep Play for Kids, Stephen Cope and Sharon Salzberg are two of the teachers and yeah. authors whose work I think is incredibly valuable to anyone and everyone. Yeah, I think Stephen Cope's written three now, if I'm correct. So no, he's, maybe four. He's written four, and he's yeah. working on his fifth. Yes. He decided he was good. done, and now he came out of being done. And he wrote in my book. Did he? He did. Yeah, that's good. Um, second question might mm -hmm. go along with this because we were just talking about it. Is out of all the teachers, and maybe it's just one point. Like, what's one seed that you got? One awakening moment, or lesson that you remember and it's kind of stuck with you profoundly mm -hmm. um again because i've had so many 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 brilliant teachers i think one of the seeds that really stuck with me is to be authentic mm -hmm. and that no matter what i did it would be perfect and brilliant and correct because it was me that's good be authentic i like it what would you tell your 15-year-old self? Mm, great question. Can't be be authentic. <laughs> That's what it was going to be. I would tell my 15-year-old self to follow my heart mm. above the voices in my head or the voices that were put into my head Yeah. to really be an investigator of what was true for me and to then follow that. Awesome. Lastly, obviously, okay, so folks can find you at deepplayforkids.com. Dot com. Yep. Deep Play for Kids, the word's all spelled out. And we'll link it. But Thank Deep you. Play for Kids, they can take workshops with you. Um, they can take trainings with you. Uh, maybe soon even take yoga teacher trainings with you. Well, I am a school of yoga, so they yeah, do, yeah, so I am a school of yoga, and they can become certified teachers with me. So, yeah. And outside of that, you mentioned the book, so there's a really cool book on breath, mm -hmm. um, and then you have a couple different things in that shop with cards and a few other things, right? Yes, I have postcards, okay. yoga postcards, which are um, of students of mine, so they're actual photographs of kids in yoga poses yes. and making different shapes with their bodies. I wanted to do that because I wanted kids to be able to see kids mm -hmm. as opposed to nothing wrong with them. Drawings, which can be a little confusing for some children who look at and experience right. information differently. So I made a deck of those and then a deck of affirmation cards, which mm -hmm. are really powerful to change the thoughts that, that yeah. we think about ourselves. I love those affirmation cards. Yeah. So I have three products and on my website... There's a section where there's downloads that are free that are available to people for these breaths and guided yeah. relaxations for themselves and children. So yeah. Downloads and I think some videos on there too. Yes. So it's like even if you're not going to purchase something, an amazing resource from somebody that is a master teacher. Mm. Um, so please check it out and we'll have her back on again. But Thanks so thank much, Forrest. So much. It was such a pleasure. Such a great hug and such a great opportunity to be with you. Thank I'd you. love to reverse it next time and yeah. ask you all. Yeah.